We're your health and safety angels, Daisy Silcock and Lindsay Mason. Health and safety, busting the barriers. Welcome back to another episode of Health and Safety Angels with me and Daisy. Hi, Daisy. Hey, Lens. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Are you feeling any sort of January blues? No. Oh, okay. It's just me then. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. How? Wh- why are you feeling January blues? What's going on with you? I don't. Well, t- what's not going on with me? So last week, I crashed my car on the ice which uh not great um thankfully only vehicles damaged and then the day after that my sister slips on the ice and has uh broken her leg in three places oh this bad weather's got a lot to answer for it really has i did say i did say to my son i think we should all up sticks and move to spain with you i think we're getting closer to that aren't we and we can still record there yeah and there would just be like the sipping of 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 cold drinks on the beach. Cerveza. Background noise. Cerveza, yes. <laughs> I think I've avoided... Very good, a- good, good accent, that one. Thanks. There, I'm practising. Better than my Welsh, isn't it? We had that last time as well. Um, yes. Yeah, I think I've avoided it this year because I was away in December and um, actually, even though it's been a bit rubbish because I've had some cancellation on courses, it's given me some downtime. So I've actually been out and about walking the dog and just pottering really so it's probably been quite good for me good and is that how you've been keeping yourself busy have you been doing have you been doing like january uh you know new year new me yes all that but (laughs) only because i do it every year but i'm doing it really well this year because i'm off to ibiza for the first time ever at 40 i'll be 43 by then and i kind of got to get ibiza ready haven't i how do you? Uh, surely that's that's a, a liver thing rather than a a, a a a sort of bikini body. Don't you have to prepare your liver for the abuse it's going to get whilst in Ibiza? No, that I'm always preparing for that. I'm fully prepared. Okay. okay. It's not. Yeah, that's not a problem. I'm well trained in that. That's the reason I have to do the uh, the food plan to um, actually fit in my summer clothes. Uh, and I don't okay. want to go to Ibiza and regret not having made an effort so I'm super super on it and maybe that has helped because eating well has a massive impact on your mental health doesn't it well yes it does massively Uh, I don't know I just feel really tired and stuff and I don't know we've been all over the place we've been delivering training here and there no not really no you definitely need some sunshine that's what it is I think yeah, I think that's what it is actually I just think I just need some vitamin whatever it is that you get from D from the sun. Vitamin D, there you go. Have you watched Mr. Bates versus the post office yet? No, not yet, sorry. Oh, Lindsay, we need to talk about it. Because when you're on a food plan and you are restricting your calories, you have to find ways to distract yourself sometimes. And my way of distracting myself is going to sleep. Okay. So I don't really have time to watch anything in the evening. Okay. Oh, and I'm happy because I've been away for work and uh, I took my mother with me and Tiny Dog because that way she can babysit her. But I got a booking for Whitstable and I've been to Whitstable a number of times and every time I've gone, I've always said, oh my gosh, look at those fisherman huts. I have to stay in one of those. And I've been saying it for years. So as soon as the booking came in, I thought, right, bucket list time. So I've actually been staying on the beach, even though it's been storm I or J, I'm not sure which one it's been. I think it's I, because that's what we've had up here. Oh, okay. I'm sure one came after it as well. So it was it was super duper windy, and poor tiny dog struggled to walk in a straight line. But I've managed to tick something off my bucket list, which is a win, isn't it? I've never been to Whitstable. It's, is oh, it, it's gorgeous. It sounds like, yeah, it's one of those places that is on a kind of postcard chocolate box list, isn't it? It's really lovely. And they've got the Viking Coastal Trail. And you Ooh. can walk round the coastline, but actually the coastline, not half a mile inland, and get splashed by the sea all the way around. And I cycled from Whitstable to Broadstairs a few years back, and I knew that I would continue to go back there because it's just beautiful. I feel really bad that you've got the January blues, and I'm like, yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> you could have taken me with you. You could have left your mum at home and taken me instead. But would you look after Tiny Dog? 
Oh God! Yeah, see, that's I'd the issue. Up, I'd have to, I'd have to pick up the parcels, wouldn't I? Yeah, they're very small. Oh, I could probably do that then. To be honest, I mean, if you think about a AAA battery, mm. that's probably the maximum you'd have to deal with. Wow! Not even a double A, triple A. I can't wait to put the pictures up for this podcast <laughs> episode with a with a like tiny dog poo on it. <laughs> No, you could have a picture of a AAA battery and pepper. That might be yeah. the equivalent. <laughs> yes, and then people will be like, what are they talking? But you'll only know if you listen. Right. Oh, well, hopefully my happy times has, has happied you up a little bit. Yeah. I actually also, um, so a couple of episodes ago, we um, it was the episode on Section 7, I mentioned about a scout that had died. Um, I don't know if you recall... Yes. Me talking about that. And I wanted to just update you really on that because the inquest has continued. Okay. Um, and I think it is still as far as I'm aware, it, it still continues. Um, but it's been really, uh, it's been an interesting one. And again, I, I don't like the word interesting because this is a child death we're talking about, but it's been one of those ones that's been quite sort of up and down this this inquest case um so basically they in the last few days they've heard from the scout leader who was in charge of this sort of area of the, the you know this group of scouts from a, a manchester area and this person this particular scout was responsible for um, completing things like the risk assessments and stuff. I, I presume that they are the, the leader of the, the pack, as it were. Um, they still refer to them as a scout? Yeah, a scout leader. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought you meant it was a scout that had done it. No, 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 no. So the scout leader had done the risk assessment or hadn't done the risk assessments. So if you recall, I told you about this this 16-year-old boy, Ben, who fell from the Great Ormond, landed no. He fell 200 feet, the um, uh, inquest has identified, which is just absolutely horrendous. Um, so the scout leader, there was this guy called Brian Garraway, who wasn't actually on the trip, but I think he was responsible for ensuring that things like risk assessments were done. And so maybe something to do with like the county. Yeah, I, I think I don't know quite how it works with scouts and stuff. I think they kind of have like boroughs or areas or something like maybe that. Maybe districts. I know guides yeah, dis- have districts. Yes, district. I think it's a district thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he apparently told this hearing, um, this inquest hearing, that he believed that risk assessments had been undertaken for every activity that this particular troop had done. But he was under the impression that the majority were not written down. Okay. That just, I don't, what is the point in doing a risk assessment if you're not going to write it down? If you are, if you are faced with a change of circumstances and you're on the spot risk assessing that change, change of circumstances, that is different. But if you are a school or a group or a whatever it is, planning something you're going to do in the future and you know you need to risk assess it, why would you not write that down? But you also, scouts change. You know, kids don't stick at activities sometimes. So you'd constantly be having different people working with you, volunteers, different children. They have different needs. That it just doesn't make sense at all. And to be such a big deal, to say that you were under the belief it had been done, but they weren't written down, what gave you that belief that someone had thought it through to the level that they should have? It's just a massive cop-out in my mind. So he goes on to say, this guy, even though he wasn't there, he goes on to say that he knew that things had gone wrong. Um, and... Uh, he knew that there hadn't been risk assessments in place. He knew that there hadn't been any proper documentation. He knew that there were no first aiders. It's hard to listen to. It's really hard to listen to, even though we've mentioned it once before, just every time. And if, he, if you, again, you, you can recall in that episode, I said to you about the fact that the boys, um, that they had described this boy Ben as like this wild child and and there was kind of trying to put the blame on Ben as yeah. a 16 year old I remember. um and and at the um 
at the in the coroner's court ben's family spoke about this and they said that basically um they had been sort of told by the scouts that people who try and take on the scouts are never successful no one can touch the scouts and apparently this guy mr holloway supposedly turned around and said at the time don't worry they're not going to sue us they can't sue us wow so i know humans on this planet i will never ever get to a point where i think we've reached the worst we can so one of the lawyers asked mr holloway and this is a direct quote said so you were deliberately lying to ben's family and you were the representative of the scouts and mr holloway said yes so he has agreed that he lied to the family and he was representing the scouts when he obviously passed on these messages and he goes on the lawyer says are you proud of the scouts and mr holloway said no i think that's unfair because he's he's saying he's not proud of the scouts but the scouts as a whole group do some amazing things he let this young lad down ironically okay that this is all going on and as i mentioned in the previous episode we discussed this my son is in the cubs So obviously this is the same, those of you who don't really know what the Scouts and the Cubs are, this is like a sort of after school club where it's all about adventures and building campfires and going camping and learning skills that perhaps a lot of children nowadays would never learn if it wasn't for these kind of organisations. And they certainly, the, the, the local groups are all run by volunteers and there's groups for all girls and there's groups for boys and the scouts now is a is a unisex um organization which takes children from the age of like six up to well i think kind of 18 plus potentially and i have to say that there there are some amazing volunteers out there they give up a lot of time a lot of their personal time and do some amazing things so this isn't everybody being blanketed with the same no far from it because i because i'm just about to explain that last night should have been my son's cubs night and in fact it was cancelled at the last minute because of we had really really strong winds and the decision was that it potentially wasn't safe for some of the beavers cubs or scouts must walk to the scout hut and believed it wasn't safe for anybody trying to get to the scout hut and therefore scouts and cubs and that was was cancelled last night so that clearly shows that actually the consideration of safety is paramount, you know, and child safety being paramount. And there's been occasions where events haven't been able to go ahead because they haven't got enough volunteer adults to actually make sure that the events can run safely. Um, so I completely agree with you, Linz. I think that this potentially is just um, hopefully a, a one-off but it's just horrendous that a this has dragged on for so long. I mean, bear in mind that this incident happened in August 2018 with Ben Leonard, and it's now January 2024. I mean, it's just horrendous that this is the third inquest, you know. Um, and the family just, have got oh, to keep going through it. I do think attitudes, individual attitudes, play a massive part because. We know a lot of people in the health and safety industry and people that are very, very passionate about it. But you've got people like, is it Richard Maidley? You know, the guy... Uh... The old guy from on This Morning. Yeah, saying yeah. negative things about health and safety. And wow. it's just such an old school attitude. And potentially, this guy that failed to do the risk assessments had the same kind of attitude. Oh, health and safety is just a pain in the in the rear and no one needs to do it and it's over the top and blah, blah, blah. I'm putting on a stupid voice that's like my my voice of people that disagree with with what's sensible. What's Richard Maidley said then? Is this is just a general thing he said, like lots of things he said negatively, or is this actually one specific occasion? They were having a conversation about, I know what it was, the crane driver that saved the guy from the roof of the burning building in Reading very recently. They were having a conversation on TV about oh, the whole situation. Okay. And Richard Maidley came out with some Mm -hmm. comments about health and safety being just rules and and no initiative and it was just really negative. And it sparked this thing with people saying that is exactly why we struggle in health and safety. 
because we've got people like you that have this attitude that what we're doing is trying to just create barrier after barrier after barrier so you can't actually get anything done and it was just shocking I did actually I I actually had a person that I was training recently who we were talking about the importance of sleep and um, I think it's a massive area for me and I just think it kind of is potentially actually why I'm feeling a bit rotten today Um, but um, this guy turned around and said well you shouldn't have any problems sleeping Daisy you could just talk to yourself about health and safety I was like that is really rude (laughs) That's the difference because it is, I know. we know it's know. such an important topic and is designed to help people and keep people safe and we're passionate about that. I could talk all day about health and safety and love every single minute of it. I know. Well, that's why we did this. Exactly, because it's cool. It is cool and we're cool. It's all cool. Right. So what are we doing today? It's very exciting. It's a regulation that people always struggle to remember exactly what the shortened version means. Ridor. Ridor. Well, I, I always find people think that their Ridor is like a is a group of people or a department that they report to Ridor. Oh, really? Yes. And of course, that's not the case. Ridor is a piece of. It's an. Is it an abbreviation? Is it an abbreviation? Yeah. I think it's either abbreviation or an acronym, isn't it? No, is it an acronym? Oh, maybe it is acronym. Needless to say, RIDOR stands for... Reporting of Injuries, Diseases and Dangerous Occurrence Regulations 2013. Excellent, well done. Thank you. R- round of applause. <laughs> I'm always proud of myself when I achieve things. <laughs> you probably just read that off a piece of paper as well, didn't no, you? No, I'm very good at it now. You know, it takes me a long uh, time to learn stuff, so a lot of stuff I do have to read off pieces of paper. Yeah, well, that's fine. You can't remember everything. You're only you're only human. But you can. But then I have weird stuff that I can't remember at all. Important things. I remember once uh, forgetting to do my MOT on a car. Oh no! I mean, quite significantly as well. Did you get caught? No, I didn't. But I, it suddenly was like I I I pulled up somewhere. And it suddenly kind of brain farted me oh, and I checked and I was like three months out. Oh my gosh, your heart must have sunk. Oh, it was horrendous. Horrendous. And I'd been driving and I was I was like sort of working in London at the time. So how I didn't get caught was just, yeah, unbelievable. Uh, thankfully, MOT'd fine. But nonetheless, it was, yeah, something like that that's quite important. Now I just, everything's in like diary for that sort of stuff. Otherwise, I literally wouldn't remember anything. So I've had moments where you could be, it could be three o'clock in the morning and suddenly you wake up and you go, oh, and you remember something you were supposed to remember two weeks ago. I am renowned for a terrible short-term memory and that's helped me with delivering training because I recognise that there are people that can be very, very interested in something, really, really passionate about something, but you just can't remember like the regulations off the top of your head. I would have to make flashcards and read them and watch a video. And just because you cannot remember everything off the top of your head doesn't no, mean that you don't know what you're talking about. We just all function differently. Not at all, because, I, you know, it, it is totally how your brain works. And we've had this conversation before that, yes, there's things I can remember, but it doesn't mean that I know any more than anyone else. It's just stuff that I can remember. Um and part of that is because I'm a teacher, because you stood up in front of a classroom and you kind of know what people are going to ask you. And therefore, stuff like that, it's just ingrained in me. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't mean anything, I don't think. I don't think it means that you know more about a particular subject. And let's be honest, you don't need to remember this stuff. It's all there in black and white to go right. back we're very yeah. lucky we've got legislation.gov.uk where we can go and type in reporting of diseases you know etc and of course with this this piece of legislation we've also got um guidance from the hse as well haven't we right and i I love guidance documents um i just love the way they're written so they're easy to understand so easy to access from our most favorite website ever um, so let's go into Riddle 
reporting of injuries, diseases and dangerous occurrence regulations. Um, so you just mentioned that there is legislation.gov.uk, of course, and you can pull up the full regulations as written uh, in black and white. Uh, but you can also go to hse.gov.uk and in the search bar, just type RIDOR guidance, even just RIDOR, um, and that will bring you up uh, a number of documents. But the one that would be the best is the INDG 453, which is the industry guidance for RIDOR. Just to break it down and explain what you need to know. But we're going to do that for everyone now, aren't we? Yeah, hopefully save you having to read it. But you know it's there. So if you ever want to go back to it, if you want to kind of study it in a little bit more detail, you, you know that you've got those two sources, which are our go-tos. So that's really, really handy. But we're going to do this one slightly different to the other legislation that we've done. We're not going to read everything out, are we? No, Liz? thank goodness. Because I struggle with that bit as well. Memory and reading. Not so great. <laughs> Um, do you remember doing when you were at school when they used to make you stand up and read in class? Yes. Oh, that was that was stressful, wasn't it? Uh, it still makes me cringe when I think about how they try and make you learn, and just doesn't work for everybody, does it? Even now, when um, you know, like you're in, in maybe you're in a classroom setting and and you're saying, "All right, let's read this case study," and rather than actually say to people, "Read it yourself," I will always say. Um, I'll read it first and then you can have a look over it afterwards. Because I think not everybody, A, speed in which people read, but also people. some people aren't confident in that. So even though some people go, oh, she's having to read this to me, I just think it helps those that may struggle and wouldn't necessarily put their hand up and say, I, I need extra time reading or anything like that. So, yeah. Well, don't you think if someone gives you something to read out, you're so focused on reading it and trying to get it right that you're not actually taking the information in mm. and so it's I find listening to someone else is a great way for me to learn but that person that's reading it out is probably not taking anything in yes completely so I've got the guidance open we're not going to read it out basically no. sorry if you like Lindsay reading law <laughs> that you'll have to pay her separately yeah that's a different that. website <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the industry guidance is actually Really straightforward, and it says RIDOR is the law that requires employers and other people in control of work premises to report and keep records of, and then it breaks down the things that you've got to report and keep records of. So obviously the biggest thing that you've got to keep a record of, days is... Death. Yeah. I'm glad you got what I was, where I was going. Um, um, yeah, I was thinking, oh, which one? Uh, hopefully they don't ever happen. So for, for the, everybody listening, so we don't have to record those. But I guess, yes, that would be the biggie of all the lists that you would have to. Um, but it has to be work related. Yes, of course. Yes. This can't be just, you know, Bob coming in and having a heart attack at his desk and passing his way. As as, as much as that is horrendous, it has to be connected with the work activity. Um, and that's then led to this fatality. But what we're going to do with this one, as I say, we're not going to read the, the legislation out because some of these sections have very, very, there's a lot of text. Um, but we're going to focus on some of the the parts of this um so we're just going to kind of make our way through uh from regulation 3 all the way to um regulation 9 including regulation 9 now there are other sections of this law as well which talk about things like gas related injuries incidents that happen offshore incidents in relation to mining and such we're not going to cover those because they are much more specialist. But as we said before, and we'll say it again, if you want us to feel free, uh, because that's what we're here for. But we're meant to be we're here to provide you with a useful resource. And if that would be useful to you, get in touch and let us know. And we will uh, look to include that in our upcoming episode. Right. And if you are someone that classes yourself as an expert in those um, detailed regulations then get in touch and we're happy to bring you on and use your expertise to explain to everybody mm, definitely so should we start at the very top then with the responsible person yes that's so, clearly not me that's you <laughs> no not at all gosh <laughs> if you knew what my family say about me you wouldn't be saying that um <laughs> um so regulation uh, three of 
the riddle regs um, talks about having a responsible person. Basically, what this is, is having somebody within your organisation who would be the person appointed to ensure that anything that needs to be reported under this legislation gets reported within the timescales stipulated. Because there are lists of things that we have to report to the HSC via the Incident Contact Centre. And there are timescales, specific timescales specified. And of course, as with any law, if we don't meet those, if we don't tell them about this thing and we don't do it within the timescales, then a criminal offence has been committed, a breach has taken place. And what me and Linz are also going to talk you through on this episode is some examples of where businesses have either received improvement notices or enforcement notices or even been prosecuted for failing to uh, comply with the requirements of the riddle regs. So if I'm running a small business and I've got six, seven, eight people, how am I defining the responsible person? What do I do? Just in my head say, I'm going to make that person the responsible person? Yeah, ultimately, it's not something that has to be incredibly formal as such, but it needs to be somebody who clearly is that that person who is going to pick up the telephone or or fill in the documentation via the HSE website, the forms via the HSE website. Because the problem is, if you don't say who that person is going to be, then potentially either everyone's going to do it or no one's going to do it. So it is, I think, potentially in your policy or in the um, uh, organisation or arrangement section of your policy, you would want to say that, you know, Joe Bloggs or Joanna Bloggs is going to be the person who would report anything under Riddle. And making sure that that person actually knows that they have that responsibility and is competent to, to have it. Absolutely. Yes. Knows what's required. And in fairness, it is it it is one of those things that you hope it's never you're never going to be called upon to have to complete. And in fairness, the forms themselves are not hugely complicated. They are online forms that you could sort of, you know, click next and it tells you, you know, drop down boxes and asks you specific questions or picking up the telephone in certain instances because of the severity of something that's happened. But again, they will talk you through this because potentially some businesses, this has never occurred and therefore people won't always know what's required. Um, The HSE aren't here to punish everybody instantly. They are here to provide support. So, you know, as long as you you, you kind of make the right noises saying, right, I'm reporting, I'm not sure what I need to tell you. What would you like to know? This has happened. The most important thing is that you make sure that you do it in the first place and you do it within the timescales. So well, on the in the guidance, it, it says how to report and it tells you online um, where to go to do it and um, you'll get your own copy once you've submitted that. So it's not difficult at all, but you do need to make sure that someone knows that they have a duty to do it. And, and even though um, Daisy said just now, you know, we hope we never have to do it, you do have to report also some minor things which you know people do get broken bones people do get workplace ill health um and so it is important that someone knows how to do it because there is a chance at some point you're going to have to make a report and underneath that section that says online um it also says telephone and it gives you the uh the contact center number for fatal and specified injuries so it's all there on our fabulous website well not our website we don't own the hse No, but on our fave website. Okay, so let's start, as we just work our way down, let's go to regulation four, non-fatal injuries to workers. Pretty straightforward, non-fatal injuries to people that work for you. Yes, indeed. Um, And these are sometimes referred to also as specified injuries because there is a list of examples of things that are specified within the law so if it falls into one of these if it's one of these that's happened then we've got to tell the hse about it so um do you want to run through the list lens of specified 
Yes, well, I know it's not paper cuts because I always use that as an example. <laughs> HSE do not want to know about Janine accounts getting a paper cut. No. So um, the list of specified injuries, so we're not talking about any diseases or anything like that here. This is purely about physical injury to yourself. And we've got any bone fracture um, that is diagnosed by a doctor other than to a finger, thumb or toe. So you can break your finger break your thumb or break your toe and it is not reportable but any other bone fracture is as long as it has been officially diagnosed by someone with a degree yes absolutely i think i people always ask me that why why not the fingers and the thumbs and the toes and i'm like well i think and this is only me guessing but i think it's because basically there's not an awful lot of medical treatment you can get and it's actually quite easy to break your fingers thumbs and toes They'd probably get a lot of calls. So, um, what else have we got? Amputation. So, we're jumping here from a bone fracture to loss of limb. So, amputation of an arm, hand, finger, thumb, leg, foot or toe. So, if you break your toe, they don't want to know about it. But if you lose your toe, they do. Um, And there is a a case that I'll just, uh, whilst we're on that subject... um, So there was an improvement notice that was issued to an organisation in 2021 um, that uh, basically they'd one of the employees at this place of work um, had suffered an injury and this had not been reported. The injury was the amputation of two fingers and they'd failed to report this to the HSE. So this particular organisation received an improvement notice, obviously to ensure that this didn't happen again and so that these were uh, adequately reported in future. And of course, remembering that with an improvement notice will also come your uh, invoice from the HSE for their time as well. So you've got the fact that first and foremost they haven't told anybody that two fingers that this incident had happened and the amputation of these two fingers you've also got the financial implications of the hse coming in and investigating and giving you this improvement notice and of course don't forget that these improvement notices are on a public register for five years as well so it's not going to look brilliant for this organization if anybody searches their name i'm not sure if if people realize that that you know they they will Assume that an improvement notice is um, something that just says, oops, you just need to make things better. But the fact it goes on record for such a long time is a massive deal. And if you're thinking that managing health and safety is too expensive, that reputation can stick with you for such a long time. And in five years, your busy business could grow massively. Um, you risk people not wanting to work with you because that's following you around. I've got another one with an amputation, but this time we got a um, prosecution. Okay. And um, a a director of a business had employed uh, a young lad to carry out some work on a construction site. And um, he, he lost his leg. His leg had to be amputated. And the boss failed to report it, which nothing surprises me, of course. I just think... That's such a massive thing to not report. You've got to be doing some serious wrongdoing or just have such a blatant disregard for health and safety and of human life to not report that someone has had his leg amputated. The best bit for me is that the young lad, eight months later, had finally realised the duty that was owed to him as an employee and he actually called up the health and safety executive and reported it himself and they investigated and the guy got six months in prison not only did he get six months in prison which would have been pretty life-changing um he also had to pay two grand as well gosh and i hope that i hope that young lad also got some comp for that because so he had his leg amputated did you say yeah wow i mean i can only assume that maybe he'd been paid off. Uh, you know, the, the the guy had said, you know, sorry about that, here's some money. And eight months down the line gone, hang on a second, this can't be right. You know, it, it's... Just think about how life is going to change. Your whole house would have to be adapted. 
the sports that you'd love doing you're never going to be able to do again even just going on holiday being able to go through an airport and get onto an aeroplane and just massive life change um it doesn't say anything about any compensation but you know flipping hope so it makes you wonder if they perhaps sort of paid him off yeah i would think most likely that's probably what happened and then you've gone well hang on a second i I can't imagine it would have been that much money that someone's gone this doesn't make sense Mm. and i and i just love the fact that he has come forward eight months later and spoken up and felt brave enough to speak up absolutely yeah absolutely so um, I guess those are two examples of the outcomes of failing to report. Um, I think because I think it's one of those pieces of legislation that a lot of people have an aware awareness of, but perhaps don't necessarily appreciate that businesses and individuals are feeling the effects of not reporting these things. Because well, the thing with Riddle that it's important to, to note is, of course, it is down to you to report the HSE isn't necessarily going to know that these things have happened. And of course, just in a couple of cases that we've looked at, clearly they they didn't know until somebody told them about it. So I would imagine that there is a large percentage of underreporting that goes on every single year. But you run the risk of enforcement notices and like Lindsay's just explained, fines and prison sentences if you don't report let alone that the HSE will then be sniffing around your business and looking at perhaps what went wrong in the first place as well. So this is, yeah, the onus is definitely on that appointed person, that responsible person to report. But one thing I would say is that I think everybody feels that if they do tell the HSE, or a lot of people feel that if they tell the HSE, the HSE is going to turn up. That is not the case, okay? The majority of Riddle reported incidents that happen, and there's about, I think, sort of last year, I think there was something like 60,000 reports that uh, relate to the Riddle regulations. Um, the, The majority of those were not investigated by the HSE, nor did they have a visit from the HSE. Now, you can make of that what you will, whether you think that's a good thing, a bad thing, but... The the one that you are guaranteed to get a visit from the HSE for is a work-related fatality. And of course, other enforcement agencies such as the police as well would undoubtedly want to know what's happened. But with the other ones, such as the amputations and the, the broken bones and such, currently, with the lack of HSE inspectors we have, sadly, those are not going to be investigated. You may have to follow up and explain what you've done to prevent it from happening again. But do it in the knowledge that it is not necessarily going to turn into anything negative. It's not necessarily going to go any further, but it is a statutory duty to report. This is why training is so important, because from the business owner's point of view, they need to know what to do. But Mm. I love the fact that when we deliver training, we're empowering employees to know the level of duty that's owed to them. So that if they are working for a company that isn't engaging with health and safety, isn't doing what they legally are required to do, that you as an employee know your rights and aren't in a position to be hurt in any way and have to suffer I mean, this this guy, eight months mm. of living with an amputated leg before he's realised that actually there is a duty that's owed to him, both legally and there's the civil side as well. So I think it's important that everybody, both people running a business, recognise what they have to do legally to protect themselves. But individuals need to know what all of this is about so that they know where they stand as well. And it does make you wonder, doesn't it? If this guy has been able to, this poor young worker has been able to live for that length of time without, with a leg amputated. I mean, because you imagine just the, the, the medical side of that, you, it makes you think, well, what else has gone underreported? I mean, I know personally as a consultant, I have been to businesses and I've seen examples of workplace injuries and I've said to you know, the person in charge, did this get reported because it should have been? And the answer being, no, we didn't know it had to be. 
you know, and, and what does that mean for us? Well, potentially the HSC could prosecute you because uh, you, you, you have to do that. And like any other piece of law, you didn't do it. And therefore that opens you up to the, to the potential, you know, ramifications of breaking the law. Right. And a worse case scenario than if you'd have reported it in the first place. Oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. But I think that's the fear. The fear is that, oh, the HSE going to turn up, they're going to close us down, they're going to this and that and the other. Honestly, it would be lovely to imagine that the HSE, well, it'd be lovely for us, for me and Lynn's, it'd be lovely to imagine that the HSE had enough inspectors that could actually go to every single riddle reported incident or accident or injury. But that is not feasible. Okay, it is not possible. And therefore, as I said previously, the the one that you will get your visit for is workplace death. Secondly, is probably dangerous occurrences. So if they if they, they've got people spare and there's there's enough sort of bums and seats to get you to get to it, they would undoubtedly come to a dangerous occurrence if they can. But there's definitely no guarantees. Well, we'll come on to dangerous occurrence as well, won't we? Mm-hmm. But the other the other side of it is. We've said this right from the start, that the HSE is not designed to go around catching everyone. No. The sole purpose is to support and help people to comply. So by them finding out about what's gone on, your reportable workplace injury, they can help you to put things in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's the point, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, What else have we got under that one then? Uh, We've got... Permanent blinding, reduction in sight in one or both eyes. Crush injuries to head or torso. We've got burn injuries, but um, specifying a percentage of your body being burnt or if the burns cause damage to your organs or respiratory system. Can I, sorry, can I interrupt you on the burn? Yeah. Because I've got a case, a burn case for you. When was this? Let me have a look. I can't see when this was a few years ago now, I think. Um, So this is uh, the director of a construction company that was jailed for eight months. Wow. Eight months after failing to ensure the safety of a young worker who sustained serious injuries. Okay, so... That's got to be pretty severe burns, eight months. Yeah, so this guy was David Gordon Steed. Um, He uh, pled guilty um, to breaching uh, Section 4 of the RIDOR regulations. So basically what had happened was this young worker, again, another young worker. But you know what? Probably, I would imagine, it's that they didn't know. You know, with with two young workers, we discussed it. It's probably the fact that they, they just weren't in the know as to what perhaps the process should have been. I don't know. Anyway, so this young worker was pouring some flammable thinners onto burning waste to help it go up. Oh, God. Sounds like a barbecue gone wrong, which resulted in a fireball. This blew the worker from a skip. And um, sadly, this worker sustained very, very serious burns to the arms and legs. Um, so uh, th- there's a, a litany of issues. But uh, this 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 person, David Gordon Steed, apparently had failed to administer any first aid to the injured worker. Oh, my gosh. Had not sent him for any medical attention and had obviously not reported it um, to the uh, HSC. Apparently, the event was only reported sometime after by a third party. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. sounds like a like a movie line, doesn't it? Yeah, Failed to get any first aid care for someone with serious burns. And I don't know if we did talk about this when we looked at... The, the outcome of prosecutions. But another point um, is what's known as a disqualification order. I don't know if we did talk about disqualification orders or not. So a disqualification order is something that a judge can do. And in in this particular case, the judge basically said that um, that as a director, the, the it, it, well, quote said, um, this unfortunate case highlights the crucial role that directors play in health and safety management. Um, and what a judge can actually do, what's the word? Um, bar? Bar, yes. So uh, bar a company director from being a company director for a period of time. So in the case of this guy, he, he was disqualified from being a company director for seven years. 
prison sentence, um, obviously a criminal record now, and being disqualified from being a company director for seven years, all down to the fact that he, well, I guess it's a combination, but he was found guilty under the Riddle regulations. But it would have also been the fact that, you know, no no uh, medical uh, assistance was given, etc. You know, but but it, it just demonstrates again, this is this is ultimately the responsibility of that responsible person or if perhaps a responsible person hadn't been identified, then it would fall back on the directors to ensure that, you know, they were taking this seriously. And this is another case that clearly demonstrates that did not happen. And we've got another young person with life-changing injuries. Now, I know that it's very difficult. You start a business, you don't necessarily know everything you should be doing. There's not really an excuse this day and age for not finding out. There's a variety of training courses, some really good training courses out there. There's lots of information. We've got the podcast to listen to now. But there is a difference between not knowing some things and blatant disregard of human life. Isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, you don't need a training course to tell you that someone you employ that gets seriously hurt should be getting medical attention. And that's going to determine the severity of, of the the punishment, really, isn't it? Because there's no excuse. There is no excuse at all. Um, you know, I, I do agree that someone could say, I, I genuinely didn't know. But I also think you can't use, you can't keep saying that to yourself because there's so much out there for you to be able to educate yourself on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why we, we spoke about the basics for business section on the HSE website, which goes through the absolute basics, the minimum. And that talks about reporting um, incidents. And of course, as you say, not sending that young lad for medical treatment. That's not I didn't know. That is I don't want anyone to know. Yes. So that's just that's hiding. That's that's knowing that a criminal offence has occurred and literally wanting to hide the evidence. Well, at least he got found out. Absolutely. And I was I do feel a bit bad when I'm happy that someone's been prosecuted. But in some situations, when I hear about how atrocious human beings are to each other and abusing that power, because you're in a position of power when you're mm. running a business, people you know, rely on you to pay them so they can feed the families, put a roof over their, house, their, their heads. And, you know, there's a, there's a level you owe people. And, and, and that's why I'm glad that we not only help and support people with the HSE, but we are able to say that is not acceptable. And we have to be able to punish so that other people learn and hopefully say, I'm going to do more so that that doesn't happen to me and therefore ultimately protecting people more. Absolutely, because of the, you know, these cases of of prosecutions, uh, etc., that we're talking about here, are where people have failed to tell the HSC. You know, these are not examples of where people have told the HSC and then been prosecuted. This is where they haven't. So we're trying to say to people, look, you know, you 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 need to ensure that the very least you pick up the telephone, you fill in the form, because this is what could happen if you don't bother doing that step part of it. You know, and and of course, like anything, the punishment would be so much is so much worse if you fail, because obviously in the two cases we talked about, both of them have received custodial sentences, which is usually fairly rare in um, health and safety related incidences. It's usually very extreme circumstances that have led to prison sentences. So these are really making a uh, what's the what's the Yeah, making an example of these uh, senior people. I'm glad you stopped me with those stories because I was coming on to part F, which doesn't sound very nice. And I'm quite hoping that you don't have a case for this next one because section F, which is um, the specified injuries again, is any degree of scalping requiring hospital treatment. It's a horrible one, but, um, you know, sadly, it does happen, doesn't it? Um, We do have examples of scalping in a variety of different um, injury uh, industries. Um, We've seen scalping in in things like uh, fairgrounds and fairground rides and things like that. So, yeah, 
absolutely catastrophic when it does happen. There was a case of it at a chocolate producing factory over in Essex. Not very nice. Um, So the next one then, moving on from that, is loss of loss of consciousness caused by head injury or asphyxia or any other injury arising from working in an enclosed space, which can lead to a number of things like hypothermia, heat-induced illness... Uh, requires resuscitation or admittance to hospital for more than 24 hours. Yeah. So again, being quite specific there, isn't it, with with the, the parameters of this, a bit like when it says, you know, don't bother telling us about your uh, broken toes. <laughs> the loss of consciousness bit uh, caused by head injury or asphyxia, of course, loss of consciousness. You could be out for just a few seconds, you know, a moment, as it were, but still, if you if whatever's happened has been significant enough to cause that, then of course it still falls underneath that. And of course, that, that, I mean that could be a variety of different things that could lead to um, that momentary loss of consciousness um, in that regard. So it, it's obviously very important. And it could be it could be um, an injury. It could even be something like um, I guess because of the asphyxia, it's kind of working conditions as well that could lead to that. There's a lot of information just in that, what, I, what I've just read out. But that entire list is in black and white in both the legislation itself and in the guidance document. So you do not have to remember any of that. All you have to do if you have someone with uh, an injury is go to that guidance document and just double check. Do I need to report it or not? And the interesting thing I think about the riddle from my perspective is there is a glaringly obvious um, work-related condition that is missing. And that is um, anything to do with your hearing. So technically, you could make someone deaf and it doesn't have to be reported. So somebody could end up being left sort of partially deaf or permanently deaf or with some sort of maybe maybe something like tinnitus or something like that and you don't have to tell the hse which is i think a glaring omission from this because we've covered eyesight we've covered and and we're going to cover in other sections when we get through to them things like diseases and other bits and pieces but there are some some omissions from this but i think personally that the one to do with hearing is a really obvious kind of gap in this piece of legislation, which is quite surprising, I think. I don't know what you think about that. You know what we need? Someone from the HSE to come onto our podcast and talk about some of the gaps. Because there's got to be a reason. It can't just be because they can be updated any time. Absolutely. They can't just... Yeah. I'd... Yeah, there's got to the be... The only thing I can think is that whether, that of course, loss of hearing could be combined with, um, you know what you do in your free time so whether it's hard to sort of oh, pinpoint yeah. categorically that it happened in that place and then and so on and so forth so i know in a civil claim they're always going to say well it was most likely the employer so therefore you'll get the civil or the compensation payout but when you're talking about the law i think you might have that spot on there that's why you're my friend it's so clever <laughs> Yeah, but the other one, of course, is that during COVID, COVID was an an addition to your riddle. Um, you, you had to report if people um, contracted COVID as a result of working activities. And of course, because of the fact that, again, that's that's another one. Well, was it work related or did I pick it up from someone at home? And the point that they used there, the HSC, when they kind of described it, they said that the most if if the most likely point of transmission or contraction was work, then it became reportable. So they could do something for hearing if they wanted to, because they did that with COVID. Did they write that into the specific COVID regulations? Yes, I think they did. But don't quote me on that, because that... Yeah, I'm just, you I know, just, uh, I like asking questions when something comes up that I start thinking about. Yeah, but but that's what they said. They used this sort of most likely point of transmission, kind of. And so if the most likely place that you got it was well say say you live at home with six people and none of them have got covid and then you get covid and everybody that you work with has got covid then of course the most likely place that you got it was work but how can we be sure we can't and so it it requires a bit of sort of sensible judgment i think on the part of the employer which meant that of course a lot of covid cases would have not been reported and i don't think that the point about it being reported to the hse 
was actually widely publicized. If you went onto their HSE website during the kind of um, uh, lockdowns, you would have seen it. But if you hadn't been on the HSE website, you wouldn't necessarily know. So I guess it is sometimes a case that not everybody thinks to look or thinks to check, maybe. Knows to look Mm. is another one, right? Not everyone knows. But I'm going to make a call here and I'm going to say, seeing as we have had a bumper episode now on regulation four section one should we just finish regulation four and do regulation uh 4.2 just so it nicely wraps it up go on then i know you're having a great time well i know i'm always having a great time with you i know (laughs) the blues have gone away i know isn't that weird i'm actually happier now, after an hour of talking to you, you are like a therapist. It's not me, it's health and safety. It is you. It's both. Do you think so? It's both. Magic. Me and health and safety together is your magic potion. I, I just find that 4.2 is the, the one that people tend to call over seven day injuries. Yeah? Yeah. And again, I think there are some misconceptions about what that actually means, this over seven days. And in fact... Even though it's a bit of a wordy sentence, as all the legislation is, it does quite clearly state what it means. Um, and so it says, shall I read it? You that do. Help? Go on. Okay, Let's okay. change it up. Okay, that's fine. So where any person at work is incapacitated for routine work for more than seven consecutive days, excluding the day of the accident because of an injury resulting from an accident arising out of or in connection with work the responsible person must send a report to the relevant enforcing authority in an approved manner as soon as is practicable and in any event within 15 days of the accident so for this one you've got 15 days let's say that for the previous ones you have 10 days so for the ones we've been talking about in terms of bone fractures amputations etc you've got 10 days in which to fill in the report on the hse website but for this one this is your over seven day injury one um so really to break this down first of all incapacitated for routine work so again This is not saying that you're off work for seven days. You may not be off work at all with this type of injury. Uh, It could be something like, I don't know. um, Well, let's say, for example, you have broken a couple of fingers in your hand. Okay, that isn't required to be reported in regulation 4.1 because we've already said it excludes fingers and thumbs and stuff. But potentially, if you've broken a couple of fingers in your hand, you may not be able to do your routine work. And this is something that's very important because it says incapacitated for routine work. So if you can't do your normal job for more than seven consecutive days, it falls under the requirement to be reported. So even if whether you're in work or not in work, whether you're doing, um, sometimes people will be put on light duties. Well, light duties is not routine work. So let's say, for example, you are, you're a joiner, okay? And let's imagine, yes, you've broken some fingers in your hand. But that's going to take a while for you to be able to perhaps be back doing your normal work. So instead, they brought you in the office and you're putting stamps on envelopes. That is not your routine work. So you are incapacitated from able to do your routine work. And if that period of incapacitation, if that's the word, um, lasts longer than seven days, it then requires to be reported. And that responsible person has 15 days in which to do it. And it's not working days. It's consecutive days. Absolutely. So even if you're on holiday or you down days or, or whatever, as in like, you know, you're not working on particular days, it doesn't matter. If you come back from those and you're still not fit and well and able to return to routine work and that has lasted effectively when day eight hits, if you're still not 100%, then yeah you've got to uh, let them know you've got to uh, contact the hse i've got another example of that of, of where an improvement notice was issued to a company um this is a, a 
company that makes metal spinning something or other. I don't know. Metal spinning parts. I can't even work out what that is from that. (laughs) I don't know. Um, So this company called Steel Spinnings Limited, um, they received an improvement notice in March of last year because um, one of their staff members sustained laceration injuries when their hand came into contact with a dangerous part of the metal spinning machine. And that resulted in that staff member being off work for 12 weeks. Wow. So that's a pretty serious laceration, isn't it? 12 weeks, blimey. Yeah. And they didn't report it. And uh, so therefore they were served with this improvement notice they were also served with an improvement notice as well by the way um to ensure that the piece of equipment was safe because even though it was 18 months later after this incident it still wasn't safe so that's worrying isn't it would be interesting to speak to a company that had failed to report and find out why whether it was they didn't know whether it was that somebody within the business tried to get away with it because you can't you just can't guess can you because for something like that i mean come on yeah i mean 12 weeks off work is very very considerable and i'm surprised that nobody within that organization was aware that they had to but or they had to report it but it just it just seems odd really um but then to also find that 18 months later they still hadn't made necessary changes to the machine to make it safe kind of implies to me that safety again it was not their priority and not their primary concern um and as we've said multiple times that if you're going to run a business and you're going to employ people you've got to do it it's not a case of oh it's not really fair that they get in trouble they didn't know or um they didn't have enough people to be able to deal with it there's no excuse yeah, run a business, make loads of money, I don't care. I want people to do that, be successful, it's amazing for them. But you have a duty and you've got to comply. People have absolutely every right to be employed, earn their living and not have to go through these things. I mean, imagine a 12-week recovery for a laceration. That's a, a potentially life-changing experience. Absolutely. You know, to to be off work because of any injury for that length of time um is yeah it's got to be fairly catastrophic to that person and you know to be up to be the yeah the recovery must have been very very significant um yeah so it and i'm pretty sure it impacted mental health massively as well yeah completely and then to return back to work and find the machine is still not safe would be morale wise really that would be really difficult to swallow wouldn't it because yeah, well, it sends a message to everyone, doesn't it? It does. It does, and it sends that. Well, you know what? We'll just cut a few other more people, and and you know, and it doesn't really matter. Which is very downheartening, I think, for for staff members. You know, at least if you've made a mistake, if you you, you know, we all make mistakes. We're all human. Things happen, of course, they do. But the one thing is, is that you you take some learning away from that experience and you do something differently than you've done before. And clearly that wasn't the case in, in this particular example. Um, but yeah, so that takes us, we've only managed to get to, to look at two parts of the regulation. So we've only looked at regulation three and four, um, but we'd rather do it justice and do it right rather than rush through it. Absolutely. And we know everyone loves having a listen anyway. Yeah. It just means our podcast will be running for an extra few weeks with the amount that we talk and and the things that we share. And that's not a bad thing. At this rate, it'll be an extra few years. (laughs) (laughs) We're planning our retirement party. We're still recording. Absolutely. I'd like to think we would. Yeah. Well, to be honest, though, by the time you and I retire, we'll probably retirement age will probably about 83. So uh, you never know. And there'll be some fancy way of sharing information like you'll have goggles with TVs in and you'll be able to watch us rather than listen. Or maybe like mind. I'd just be oh. able to think the thoughts and it would just come out. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to be alive for that. No, that would be well dodgy, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, imagine. What Wasn't there a movie where there was a guy that could 
hear women's thoughts. Do you remember? Was it? Oh yeah, Richard Gere maybe. What, no, no, no. It was Mel Gibson. What oh, women? Yeah. What women want? Is it? Oh. What, what something like that? And they could just hear their thoughts everywhere. <laughs> yes. I mean, in some aspects, it would be, it would be fun, but not for very long. It would make life less complicated in some ways, but then incredibly awkward in other ways. Very. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there'd probably be a lot of people walking around with black eyes for their inner <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> You'd have to, you know, like you put your keys in one of those envelopes so that they can't uh, open your car at night when they want to steal it. You'd have to have that kind of covering over your head. What? What? Well, sorry, sorry. Just stop a second. What on earth is this envelope you're talking about? So if you've got a car that's got um, like contactless uh, ignition, you know, the start stop button, the car reads your key, doesn't it? So if your key is in your front room, criminals can come along and get the code by intercepting the key. So there's there's like little wallets. They're coated or, or they're lined with like some kind of metal and you have to put your key in there so that they can't read the code with their scanner. Yes, do you know what? I do know what they are because they have them for like contactless credit cards and stuff, don't they? They have like these little wallet things that you can put in your wallet that protect your cards from being like scanned because somebody could just come up behind you with your contactless and with a card reader and just like rest. Scan your back pocket. Yeah, I've seen them on QVC. So. But the point was that then you could have to have, you'd have to have like a swim hat <laughs> that you wear over your head lined with the same stuff so people couldn't access your your thoughts i can imagine what it would look like and i definitely do not want to walk around looking like that how have we got down this rabbit hole i know that's what happens when we talk i know <laughs> oh but it has been fun thank you very much and and it is a really important regulation that i, I think most people have heard of riddle but i i would say that a lot of people don't really know exactly what the requirements are so this should be very useful for people. Absolutely. So we'll see you all in part two. Looking forward to it. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Take care, everybody.